Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode number 58, Confessions of a Market Maker. I'm your co-host, Ray, a.k.a. All Day Ray, a.k.a. The Superman Lover. And I'm joined here by my co-host, former market maker of 20 years and current day retail trader, a man who would gladly separate you from your money so that he could spend the weekend in a chateau in southern France. I am talking about the man who has more stories than Forrest Gump, the proper villain, JJ. How's it going, man? Good, brother. How are you doing? I'm doing great, man. And our guest today is a pioneer in contextual data analysis, a man who's been featured in Jack Schwager's Unknown Market Wizards. In 2006, he applied a social data arbitrage trading strategy to invest 20K in the stock market, producing 30 million in trading profits over the following 14-year period. The author of Laughing at Wall Street and one-third of Dumb Money TV. I'm, of course, talking about Chris Camillo. Chris, how's it going, man? Good, good, man. I'm here in Dallas, dude. It's like snowstorm of the century, dude. Uh and yeah, in the middle of it, we're trying to figure out where where are the trades, dude. Where are the trades in this? So it's, it's a, there's always a trade uh-huh. I everywhere, love it. right? I love it. The the, the 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 trading mind never shuts off. Uh, never. Always seeing the edge. Always seeing the strategy. So this is like a once in a uh, lifetime type of thing. I know you're born in Texas, right? You never seen anything like this? No, no. I'm a New Yorker. I was born in the East Coast, oh, okay. New York. Yeah, I moved here in high school. My dad was with J.C. Penney's. They transferred the company here. I was like, I moved here with like two months left of eighth grade. My parents relocated me from New York to Texas. And that was in the late 80s, man. It was rough. It was a rough transition for me. But, you know, it, 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 all, it all worked out. It all worked out. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, yeah, interesting. Uh, New Yorker uh, going to Texas. Uh, one of my favorite movies. Uh, what's the one with... Um, uh, the, oh, I can't think of his name from Goodfellas. He, he's a lawyer. He goes to Alabama. Um, oh, uh, uh, Vinny. Vinny. Oh, my cousin Vinny. My cousin, my cousin Vinny. Vinny. Oh, different one. Okay, that was great. Love yeah, it. Love yeah, it. yeah. I just always think of the you know the contrast. So, you know, New York Italian going to the South. It, it's good. I'm glad. I'm glad I had to move here. I, listen, my style of investing, you know, call it, it's called social arm now, but I used to call it just observational investing. Yeah, I, I would have never been in a place to kind of develop that methodology if I was still on the East Coast with that mentality. You know, being in the middle of the country and realizing how disconnected Wall Street is from reality just just was really how the whole thing was born close to 20 years ago. So I'm, I'm actually glad now that it all happened. Yeah, yeah. And, no, that, and that makes a lot of sense because, I, you know, I always thought like when I read your section, you uh you like you had a pulse on like what wall street was missing and i always thought that i'm like how do how do you know what uh, like you gave an example of like that chipotle example um on how you made the the trade with the the boli or whatever or e coli i forget what it was and how do you how do you know how do you know what wall street was tapped into and what they weren't tapped into you know, it started, it didn't start with investing. For me, I, I've always been arbitraging kind of things, right? So like when I was a kid, I would do garage sales and estate sales. And what I realized was that I only made money when by buying things that were male oriented because all these estate sales were run by women, older women, and they didn't know how to price 
old train sets, men's watches, baseball cards, like anything mechanical, anything that was male oriented, they would just throw a random sticker for a couple bucks. It could have been worth a hundred or 200 bucks. So I, there were just segments of products that I would look for in the newspaper. And if a sale had that type of product, I knew I was more likely to make money there. I was really just arbitraging their bias. Right. right. So, you know, when I, you know, it all started one morning, I, I went to Seven Eleven, and they didn't have my favorite, uh, uh, iced tea. It was a lemon flavored Snapple. And that was what I would do every morning before I would garage sale at 6 a.m. And I realized that Arizona iced tea was taking shelf space. And my older brother taught me how to buy a put option in Snapple. This is in the late 80s. And sure enough, for the first time in the company's history, inventory was building up in the channel because they were having competition. The stock crashed. I ended up making triple my money on a put option at age like 13 or 14. Um, and I was hooked. I was hooked for life. And I realized, what am I doing garage selling? I can make a lot more money doing this in the market. Uh, the difference is early on in the market, I would focus on youth and female-oriented opportunities because Wall Street was so biased geographically and towards male and towards an older demographic, anything that was young or culture-related or female-related or youth-related, they would tend to either miss or at a minimum they wouldn't pick up on it for weeks to months after it was already trending or already happening. Right. So that's where I focus most of my energy, but the reality is there's arbitrage opportunities everywhere now. Right. And so I used to say, just be socially aware, just be observationally aware of what's happening around you. Um, and now you don't have to be observationally aware of what's going on around you. Cause you could just get on Twitter and Instagram and TikTok, and just from your bedroom read what the world is talking about and identify opportunities just doing that so it's like this is the pinnacle of social arm investing right now because you have access to so much data and the data is the type of data that's contextual and interpretable and wall street doesn't like that they don't like interpretable data they like data that they can replicate and they like data that that that, that basically is systematic right because at their heart they're either mathematicians or they're financial heads, right? They're not creative. Mm -hmm. They're not private investigators. Does that make sense? It does. It does. I, I thought that was the whole genius part of your, when I was reading it and it was going for the women demographic or uh, just, just that niche you came upon uh, was like the whole, like, you know, just genius of the strategy. And it goes back to when you were doing it with the garage sales. Is that, is that just something that's like innate, Chris, in you? Like, that's just how your brain like fires or, or did you train yourself to like, look for this every day? Like how, how does, how did you come across, across this? Yeah. I mean, I guess, you know, for an early age, people like adults would always say you're a hustler. I didn't even know what that meant. Like you're just a hustler. You're like, they're like a teenager. <laughs> I was always looking to make a buck. This was like before, before having a side gig was cool, right? Like if you, you know, back in the late 80s, if you were a kid with a side hustle, people thought that was super weird. Now it's like, if you don't have a side hustle, like, what are you doing with your life? You know what I'm saying? So like, I guess I was doing that before it was interesting or cool, but, but I think it did take a long time. I actually say that the most difficult thing to do is to retrain your brain to connect the dots between thing that you, things that you observe either in your life or on social 
and investable opportunities. Because a lot of times what will happen is you will see something on Instagram or TikTok and like, we all see it. There's hundreds of million people that see what I see. How many of those people connect the dots and are constantly questioning, is there an investment, investable opportunity here, right? Um, I, I, I joke, one of the very first times I was on social and picked up a social investment was on Facebook back in the day. Um, there was like a new TV show for kids and there was a mom that had twins and she put a Facebook post. She's like, my kids, for the first time in my life, I didn't know where they were in the house. They were dead quiet, both of them at the same time. And they were watching the show Chuggington. And then a bunch of other moms dialed in. They're like, oh, that new show that popped up today. Like my kids are watching it. Like they, they're obsessed. I'm like, okay, who, what's this Chuggington? Who makes the show? It was made by a small British uh, network that was actually publicly traded over on you know a foreign exchange and i found that company invested in it and sure enough in 90 days the stock was up 50 percent once you know uh, the financial markets realized they had a hit show in their hands but literally i invested in it within hours of the show airing because i saw a post on facebook by a mom right so how many other people saw that post and what did their brains do they just went on with their day just like when that 7-Eleven, when they, they didn't have uh, my lemon-flavored iced tea because they had decreased the size of the refrigerator space allocated to Snapple. How many people saw that on Wall Street? How many people saw that in the convenience store in Manhattan? But they just went on with their day. How many people stopped, said, wait a second, this is change. Something just changed. And I always say whether well, there's change, there's opportunity to make money, right? So like if you see there's a change and you identify that change quickly, is there an opportunity to, to monetize that change? And that's when you have to start connecting the dots. And then, of course, there's a lot of work behind, a lot of due diligence. It's not that easy, right? But that's how it starts. Right, right. And it's you, you talked about that, is that you would do uh, your four hours of research at night or whatever. You do a ton of research, and you might not even make a trade for weeks. I don't know. You might go a month without making a trade. How, how do you keep yourself... Because I feel like it's so it's so counterintuitive, right? At least for like people who are not experienced with trading, it's like, oh, I put in all this work, uh, but I didn't even do a trade, and it's almost the feeding feeling. Was that ever the case for you? Totally, man. That that was so hard. And by the way, everything has changed. Just last year, I've made more trades in the last year than I had in the last wow. twenty, um, because it's just the market's moving so quickly, and there's so many new people in it, and like social is now leading, and so it's like it's just, oh, I'm still trying to figure it out. <laughs> but historically, yeah, I, 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 the analogy is like a big wave surfer. You know, they got these radios next to their bed and they're, they're listening to weather forecasts around the world. And they do that every day. And they're just waiting, patiently waiting. At some point, the right perfect storm, the, the wind is right, right? The right time of year, the right, the right break. And within an hour, they're on a plane, right? Going to wherever that is in the world. It's very similar. It's a lot of work and a lot of waiting, 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 waiting for that right opportunity. And while I still do trade more today than I ever have, because there's more opportunities, the high conviction trades, the trades that I go all in on, the trades that I'll put 10 or 15 or 20% of my portfolio in a levered option. Back in the day, I would do that with 30 or 40% of my portfolio. They will still only come around once, twice, three times a year, maybe four times a year at best. So it you have to be patient. Yeah, yeah. And, and patience isn't uh, something that comes natural to you, is it? 
No, it's so hard. It's hard for anybody because you want to make money now, right? Like, especially if you're in part of this market, because everyone's out there, they're making money today. Like everyone's talking about stock tips and like, this is the next YOLO stuff. I mean, dude, I, I, this, I can't even imagine what it's like to be a brand new retail investor in 2021. Just like with all the stressors, you feel like you're missing out and you're just like, you're wanting to like engage and get on that trade and that trade. It's got to be really tough. Um, this would not be an opportune time, I think, to be starting because there's a tremendous amount of noise yeah. in the market. And it's just, it's not awesome behavior, but it's fine. I mean, it, it will even itself out over time, right? Yeah, right, right. Yeah, I, I, I you know, I, I took away something different from all of the, the traders in the book and I think one of the things, well, one, like I knew right away, I'm like, yo, this guy's a hustler. I like, you know what I mean? Just, just the, how you were from a kid. The other one is how you stuck to your convictions. I mean, and I know you had years of losing, right? Which I want to ask you how you dealt with that, just like emotionally and personally. But uh, you stuck to like, because it's a very unique thing, how you approach training. And just to have that like confidence or just that conviction and sticking with it, was that a hard thing for you to be like, you know, no, screw this, screw technical, screw whatever, whatever. I'm sticking to my guns. Like how, how did, how did you come across that? Yeah. So, you know, I had some success early on, as I mentioned earlier, when I was a teenager, observational investing or social art, whatever we want to call it now. Um, but I, I never believed that I would have, a, I would, I would have something that wall street did and it didn't make sense. So I was like, yeah, yeah. once I got excited about investing, I just, I did what everyone does. I read all the books, technical trading, fundamental trading, like all of it, momentum, tra- like the whole thing. Yeah. And I did everything. And I did everything back in the day when it wasn't like you and a phone, right? Like Robin Hood style. I would literally go, sometimes I would walk a mile or I would take a bus, like public transportation or ride my bike to uh, Fidelity Investments. Um, and I would literally, because they, they would let me trade inside of their office or I can go to a payphone and touch tone trade. You know, literally, you'd go to a payphone, you put money in the payphone, right? And Fidelity had this thing where you could go, er, er, and you could type in the, the option symbols, symbols, and it would take you like, like 15 minutes to get a trade through. So I did this forever. And I lost a tremendous amount of money because I was young and I, I wanted to get rich on every trade, like every young trader does, right? Um, and I learned that I was like, I, I kind of gave up on the market. And at that point, I was in my 20s. I was like, screw it. I want to live life. I was doing other stuff. Eventually, I got back into having a normal job, making a, a conventional salary. And I was like, this ain't for me, man. I, I got to figure out how to do something else. I went back to trading, but I went back to the social arb and it worked. And I was like, okay, what if I just do this? What if I literally just do this? And that's why I took that 20K and in three years turned it into 2 million. And now, yeah, probably 50 million plus since then. Uh, but it worked. And man, I'll tell you, once I started doing that whole, I mean, this is like 15 years ago. It seems insane. I've had bad trades. I've lost money, but for the most part in 15 years, there have been very, very few high conviction trades that I've made that have gone bust. Like I know it seems it's hard to believe, but like very few out of the 40 or 50 high conviction trades I've made in 15 years, I don't know, a couple probably went bust on me yeah so it's like and i always for the first 10 years i was like you know because i read i read nasim taleb black swan all this stuff yeah. all his books i'm like okay maybe maybe it's all chance 
maybe this whole thing is ridiculous. And I'm just like, I'm the outlier, right? Maybe I'm just the outlier of statistical probability. And like, I'm, that's how I think. I'm like, every day, I'm like, I'm just statistically an outlier. And I was like, if I can push this past 10 years, I'm going to really like, I'm no longer an outlier. And when I pushed it past 10 years, that's when I was like, what the fuck? I couldn't believe it. I was like, this is still happening. And then the la- and then it was 11 years, 12 years, 13 years. Four- now I'm on my 15th year of social arb investing. Yeah. And I think my average returns, if you count this last year, have got to be in the mid 70s annualized over the past 15 years. So that's mm-hmm. called 75% ish annualized returns, maybe close to 80 now. So I've had such an insane, I was up 370% this last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like if, I, I still can't believe it. I still can't believe that others haven't really caught on, right, yeah. to, to the style of investing. Yeah. Um, they have more than ever now with my Dumb Money YouTube channel. So we have this YouTube channel, Dumb Money, and we, this is all we do. We just talk about it all day long. We just talk about our social arm trades. We have a Discord community. You've got 30,000 people who yeah. are social arm traders in our Discord. It's wild. I mean, and they use that term. I'm like, I always dreamed of the day people be like, I'm a social arm trader. Like, I didn't think that would ever happen. Yeah. Like I, I've been saying this for a decade. I'm a social arm trader and people are like, what? Yeah. And now people are actually using the term, which makes me really happy. Yeah, man. No, it's, it's awesome to, I think for anyone, like at least me, man, you, you just got to respect just the blazing your own path, you know, doing it your way. And not only just that, like doing it successfully, uh, just commendable. And the, you worked for a market research firm. I imagine that gave you a lot because, you know, that led to the, you know, ticker tags. And you, you said something yeah. I thought it was real interesting. You, you found out by working in that industry of how much people don't actually do what they say they're going to do. No, not even close. I mean, it wasn't just like a market research firm. We were the largest online research panel company in the world. And I helped build it from, from scratch. And it was 10 years of my life, nine years of my life. Um, quite an experience. We had millions of panelists in 50 countries. And we controlled about a third of the world's market research at one point in terms of the panelists that would answer the questions. And I was blown away how long it took from the time you wanted to initiate a survey to the time that you actually had data as like an institution. I'm like, that is just too slow. Not only is it too slow, if it wasn't, if it wasn't done perfectly or executed perfectly, you can't really trust the data. Like I, I saw so many surveys for like Apple, good example, iPhone. Remember when the iPhone came out, like surveys of like the iPhone, like where it's going to be a total disaster. Like nobody, Oh, it doesn't have a keyboard. I'll never use it. Like you spend a decade in the market research industry and you realize I don't care what you say. You don't know what you want. You don't know. You don't even know what you're going to do tomorrow. Okay. So, so I realized that you just can't do it that way. You just have to see what people are doing and what they're talking about organically, like, like what they're actually doing. Um, and yeah, I mean, Wall Street, there's a huge opportunity to our Wall Street. Here's what most, here's what most retail traders don't get. Yeah. Wall Street leverages all data, right? Like I've worked with the biggest hedge funds, quant funds in the world. They have some of the smartest people in the world. They have unlimited resources. They focus on data sources that, like I said, are replicable, 
that are systematic. So a great example is credit card data. They have numerous sources for what we call transactional data sets. They're constantly ingesting these transactional data sets so they can identify what people are spending their money on before the earnings come out, okay? Nice. So you have to ask yourself as a retail trader, if that's what Wall Street is leaning on, and still to this day, that's what they're leaning on, how do I get a, a jump? How do I front run Wall Street? How do I get in front of it, right? Uh, and so the best way to get in front of them is what do people do before they swipe the card, before they make the purchase? They talk about making the purchase. They talk about the purchase that they want to make. They talk about the purchase as they're actually making the purchase, right? Like, this is what I bought today, right? Um, so if you can figure out how to, I guess, you know, identify or surface what people are doing through what they're saying, conversational data, that is the most real-time data source you can get. The problem is it's super interpretable, right? Yeah. So it's like, it's, it's a lot of people talking, a lot of noise. You have to really figure out how to separate the noise from what's real. Um, and, and, it, and it just takes, it takes a while to get used to working with that type of data. And anybody can do it though. It's free. Just hop on Twitter, yeah. hop on TikTok, right? Like one of our trades a couple a month ago was a stupid Moissanite trend on TikTok. Girls talking about don't buy diamonds, buy Moissanites, tempt the price. It's lab made better for us, better for humanity. You're right. It's, it's green. You know, there's no mining, there's no abusive policies, right? Next thing you know, hundreds of people are doing TikTok videos about Moissanite. And there's a random like micro cap company that's like the largest moissanite company in the world and so like you could that's just watching tiktok it all started watching a video on tiktok dude yeah. i mean that that's how you do it in 2021 yeah it's it's insane you know chris when i was reading the chapter and i know this is probably other people had this reaction i'm sure this is why people almost like uh, they don't trade the way you trade is because like what, what's historically taught? Oh, okay. Technical analysis, fundamental analysis, hedge funds are sharp, are the sharps. Like you, you're not, you're not going to out, uh, you know, these people are managing billions of dollars, Chris. So it's like, okay, uh, think about all the resources they have. I can actually get an edge on them. It's almost hard, you know, to believe. Yeah, I'm, I'm assuming you, people say this to you, you encounter this type of you would not, you would not believe like, so I spent five years of my life uh, traveling to New York nearly weekly at some points um, for my company ticker tags that me and my buddy Jordan started. Uh, Jordan's my partner on Dumb Money, Dave Hansen's my other partner, but we, we basically started a company that systematically scraped, uh, didn't scrape, we had a deal, we had an integrated deal with Twitter. Uh, we pulled in Twitter DecaHost data in real time and we were able to identify at a very granular level what people were talking about on Twitter. So we had you know, a million and a half combinations of words and we would track mentions of every word on Twitter and then connect those word combinations back to entities, to companies, right? That were publicly traded in sectors. So we can tell you in real time if a product is getting more or less popular, right? If a cultural movement is happening, like, one of my favorite examples is the movement away from structured bras to uh, bralettes, which are unstructured, cheaper bras, terrible for Victoria's Secret, right? 
great for brands like Aerie. Uh, so we would go for five years. I was up in Wall Street talking to every hedge fund, every investment bank, sitting in the rooms with the research analysts, some of the largest research banks in the world, coaching them and educating them on how to extract um, value out of these data sets. And for the most part, they just didn't get it. They just, it, they were, I don't want to say lazy. It was just too different from their workflow, their everyday workflow, because for them to do this, they had to leave the workflow that they were accustomed to and jump into this whole world of contextual data that was just really weird and intimidating. And it was tough. Now, a lot of the young analysts uh, were actually super into it. Like, I would say less than 10% of analysts on the sell side. Mm -hmm. And there were a handful of people at the big buy side funds that really appreciate the data. But they were like, we just don't have people that understand how to work with this data yet. This went on for years, for yeah. years, okay? And yet I have people in my Discord community who don't work in the financial industry. They're like dentists. And I mean, we have guys that are last mile delivery drivers for Amazon and like all kinds of people, pilots. And yet they have no issue extracting value from this data. So think about that for a second. Mm -hmm. Wall Street had massive issues extracting this you know, value from this data, yet retail investors that don't work on Wall Street totally get it. That's what's so beautiful is because it's just a different mindset. It's a mindset of being a private investigator. It's not a mindset of being a financial analyst, right? Mm -hmm. And so I, I really do mean it when I say that anybody can do this because I almost feel like the more far removed you are from Wall Street, and by the way, I don't wanna like rip too much on Wall Street, a lot of these guys are my friends and we're my friends. Like I got to know them over the years. They're wicked smart. It's more about the institution of Wall Street that right. even if you would be good with this data set after working in Wall Street for a few years, it's kind of like, it's kind of like, you know, you go to play for the Cowboys. They got tons of talent. Something about that institution of the Dallas Cowboys. I'm here in Dallas. <laughs> I grew up on them. Something about that institution. Doesn't matter how much talent you put in. It's just, just destroy. It's like a talent destroyer, right? Like Wall Street is the same sort of setup. Like you're incentivized not to take risk, not to do things that are unconventional, stay in your lane, cover your butt, do it the way it's always been done, right? Like it's, it's, which is an opportunity for us retail investors. Yeah. Yeah, no. And I think that's empowering. I mean, just you putting that out there and like, just you as an example, it's like, wow, like, okay. It's not the, the, the odds aren't as daunting as it's, it's made to seem. Uh, something else I thought was real interesting, Chris, because when, when we think of the Internet right now, now I'm referring to like ticker tags and, and you guys scanning social media. Uh, you said 80 percent of your trades are long, right? Like when we think of, uh, you know, social media, uh, you think of a lot of negativity, maybe people arguing with each other, people leaving bad reviews. I've heard people are more apt to leave a bad review than a good review. Um, but 80 percent of your trades are long. Why, why do you think that's the case? Yeah. So first of all, everything I do is totally opportunistic. So I wouldn't care if 100% of my trades were short. Right. Uh, it just happens to be that most of them were long. And I think the reason for that is most of the opportunities that we're able to identify in terms of change are opportunities on the long side. Now, sometimes they're on the short side. Victoria's Secret was on the short side of that brawlet movement, right? But, you know, just this week, we had the, one of the largest storms in decades in Texas, and we're trying to identify opportunities from like, where are the opportunities? Most of them ended up being long. Like, you know, we're investing in some pool companies because everyone's pool is busted. Like the pipes all froze. 
the motors imploded. And now I'm thinking, gosh, there's going to be a lot of people need to replace pool equipment. So even though it was a negative event, it's a positive, right? Um, and it just, it just is the way it's just, it's just how it all happens. I I don't know why they end up being about 80% long, 20% short, but that's how they've fallen over the years. Right. Yeah. 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 I found that. I just found that fact uh, intriguing. I thought it would maybe be more short opportunities, but, um, you know, another thing I, you're, so with all this, you have a unique style, but you, you still, uh, very disciplined, uh, you said that whether you tr- the trade is um, at a profit or a loss, once the, the information parity is at t- like once the information is out that you have your edge on, you close the trade. Correct. That's yeah, that's, that, yeah, that's correct. And it's not an exact science. Yeah. Um, here's what's interesting. So what we, we social arb trading is about identifying change early, connecting the change to investable company and then investing only when there's what we call an information Imbalance, meaning the information that you discovered uh, is not fully appreciated or fully known by the market at large for that particular sector of security, right? So that's an information imbalance. Now, there are other factors that we look at for due diligence, such as, you know, is the information actually meaningful? Is it going to move the needle for the stock, right? Because if it's not going to move the needle for the stock, it's irrelevant. Also, are there other things happening to that company within your trade window that are more important than the information you're trading? If so, you need to know that and perhaps the trade is not worthwhile pursuing. But assuming that you can, it kind of passes all those tests, by the way, for anyone who doesn't know, I'm not a financial advisor. This is just what I do, right? So I'm really speaking about myself and everybody can take this their own way and interpret it and do their own thing with social arb investing. But assuming that you find an information imbalance, for me at that point, nothing else matters. Meaning I don't look at stock price. I don't look at fundamentals. I don't look at the management team. I don't look at PE ratios. I don't look at anything. In fact, the ideal way to to trade with social arb is to trade blind to price. Meaning you don't even know what the stock price is when you enter the trade and you don't know what it is when you exit the trade. In a perfect world, I would find out if I made or lost money after the trade was over. Okay, because I'm solely trading one piece of information that I believe will move a stock once the market is aware of that information, right? So uh, that's it. Now, information parity is that point in time when that thing that you discovered becomes kind of commonly ingested by the market, right? It's saturated amongst the investable community for that particular stock. And it's not a science. So it's not like, hey, now everybody knows. Usually you're looking for signs or analyst reports talking about this piece of information or people on stock twits and Twitter or, or communities or Reddit or anyone in a stock board. Are they starting to discuss this thing? Like going back to that one example, the brawlet trend, or if it's Wendy's 10 years ago and they're, you know, bacon, whatever special pretzel bacon cheeseburger. Pretzel. That was one of my favorite. Like, people realize how big this is. Yet. Like one of the ones I'm on right now is this company, uh, Molson Coors. I'm like looking at the Rock's new energy drink and the Topo Chico uh, seltzer that they're coming out with next month. I'm like, dude, is it me? Or is this going to be a monster product category for Molson Coors with this new Tao energy drink that the Rock's coming out with that they're distributing. And Topo Chico, which we understand in Texas is like the hottest brand in Texas, 
but like it's such a beloved brand. Now they're gonna have a hard sell serve. Topo Chico, are you kidding me? Like my mind is blown. So like, at what point do analysts who are covering Molson cores start talking about that in a real way, or do people and stuff? At that point, it, then I'll exit the stock, right? Exit the trade. So like, you just and and that's an interpretable thing, and that can be pretty scary for people because like. Sure. Sure. I have to make that determination and it's, I'm not always correct in making it because I don't always have access to all the information. Right. 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 Well, you know, uh, people want black or white, you know, I, I see even just people talking to me about trading and I'm like, no, like, it's not always, it's not black and white, right. You, you, it's more often in the gray area, you know, et cetera. But it was funny. You brought up the, 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 the pretzel bacon burger. After I read that, I saw, you know, I, I guess it's a seasonal thing. It was going on. I tried it. I absolutely loved it. I got the Wendy's next to my house. That was funny. But um, what was, uh, Chris, well, we'll wrap it up here shortly. I know you got to get going on, but how was the interview process with uh, Jack, Jack Schwager? What was that like? Oh, it was crazy, man. It was crazy. That guy is like, you know, I'd read his books and I never knew, I I never thought I would be someone in a book. He doesn't really generally do regular people, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, And then when I found out he was doing that book and he was interested, I was like, my mind was blown. I was like, I can't wait what i'm gonna be in one of your books um it was so cool no he literally he flew to my house and just spent the entire day and night just exhaustive interview i mean exhausting interview Mm -hmm. process i'm talking like every like my whole life right and he takes all that and then he has like a whole bunch of follow-up interviews over the phone right Okay. Um, and then he asked me questions over email. I'm like, this is mind blowing. This is like what you go through for like a memoir. If you have like a, I would imagine, right. Of your life. And then he just condenses it into like one chapter, 30 page chapter. And when he did that, cause I wrote a book 10 years ago, laughing at wall street that I was super proud of. And now like I, I see my chapter in Jack's book. I'm like, Jack did a way better job describing what I do than I did. <laughs> it took me a whole book to try to describe what I do. And there are different takes on it. Like my book's more personal. Like it takes me to my whole personal life. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but Jack's book, man, I love it, dude. I just love what he does. It's awesome. Yeah. No, he, he is. And shout out to Jack. We had him on a real, real great, real gracious. What, um, any of the, uh, the other market wizards uh, stand out you resonate with in the book? Um, you know, they all, here's the thing. The, what I do is so different. I read about all the other guys and I find it interesting, but like, I am so single-minded, man. I only do what I do. Like I, I just, I'm tunnel vision. I am so bought into my own stuff. Sure. Like, I will tell you this, back when I wrote my book in 2010, I ripped on technical traders. I ripped on anybody that didn't do it. I was like, I was such a cocky jerk, man. I was just like, it's my way. Like I am like the king. Like I'm the only person that knows how to really invest. And, you know, through the years, I was able to meet and some some of them through Jack stuff, but able to meet some other, you know, investors. And like my mind is blown. like there are a lot of ways to go from A to Z. Right. There's a lot of ways to kill it in the market. And I think I have respect now for other traders, even technical traders like that. I used to rip on like there, there are people that are amazing at what they do. It's just so not for me. So like I read it, but like I am just like this is my thing and I know I can do this and I know that I cannot do anything else. Like I know I would be terrible at all other types of investing. Like there's no way I would have an edge on someone else when it comes to fundamental trading or technical trading 
or momentum training, whatever it is. Like, this is the only way that I know how to make money in the markets. This is it. And so I'm just sticking to this one thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and it's like it's like a cliche, like trading saying, right? It's like, oh, you got to find your own strategy. You got to like stick to yourself, have the tunnel vision, like you're saying, but it's so much easier. Like, it's just easy. It's easy to say it's hard in practice, especially when you're a newer trader. Um, and like you said, especially starting out now with all this different noise, you you have to put those blinders on to a certain extent. But you know what? I, I am biased because I truly do believe that like, yeah, there are some people that maybe it's right, technical trading, maybe fundamental trading. But I think most people, most ordinary people, if they want to invest in the stock market, I truly believe that like observational social yeah. arm investing is for most people. Like, I don't care who you are, where you live, uh, what color your skin is, what your socioeconomic background is. I don't care what your pedigree is, like what your hobbies are. You could be a successful social arm trader and you'll have an edge. You will have an edge, some edge over other investors in my world of social arb. And you can't say that about all the other investment types. Like there's a certain mindset that's good at really digging in deep on fundamentals or, you know, reading charts all day. All that stuff just bores the hell out of me, man. I couldn't even imagine. Um, but I think that anybody could start doing this and just like start looking around, looking for opportunities. And by the way, like I can at least half of my investments uh, like the past six months, I would say, are not sourced by me anymore. They're sourced from like other social arb investors in my dumb money discord. Yeah. And it's just like, it's amazing because like we collaborate together. Like they come up with stuff. I come up with stuff. Now they're coming up with more stuff than I'm coming up with, but like I'll help them vet it, you know, but we all just, we're all just like, it's just a big family, right? Like we win together by just researching stuff together and surfacing things together. And, you know, I'm a little bit different from other people that are out there talking and doing YouTube about investing because I don't like I don't sell anything. I don't have courses. And so it's, it's not my thing. It's fine for other people. But for me, I just want to have this collaborative community of people that want to learn to invest together, uh, want to kill it together. Uh, my goal is, quite honestly, just to get the entire world investing. I want to pique the interest of everybody. I want everyone to have a brokerage account, every single person in the world. I want if I want it to be as common as having a bank account. Like if you don't have a brokerage account, it's almost weird, right? My dream is to have people who are 18, 19, 22. That's what you talk about. Everyone's talking about, not all the time, but everything comes up in conversation. What are you in, man? What are you investing in? What are you seeing, dude? Like, I think that is the easiest way to reduce the wealth gap in this country. We can't reduce the income gap, but we can reduce the wealth gap if we can get everyone investing. And so uh, all pretty much most of the money I make going forward is in my uh, charitable foundation. I set up for pediatric causes. Um, and so that's where I do most of my trading now. Uh, it's not for me anymore. And I, I, my goal is to build that fund up as big as possible for, for kids uh, that need it. And then also to try to just inspire and help other people start investing. And so like, I don't need anybody's money. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I'm, I'm past the point of needing other people's money. I, I never really have, but uh, to any extent that I could do that on shows like this, help inspire more people to open up an account someplace and just get started with it. That's cool. Absolutely. Awesome. No, and I, and I love the whole point, uh, being a part of a community, having a collaborative community of traders. Uh, you know, we, we have our own community, but I just see the, like the benefit of talking with others, seeing what they're seeing, 
Um, and, and just uh, the, 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 the unity too, uh, winning together, like you said, winning, losing together. It's a great thing. All right, last question. I'll let you get going. Uh, just any takes. What do you think of this whole past month, the weeks transpired between Reddit, uh, Robin Hood, et cetera? <laughs> I, lo- I love it, man. I mean, listen, I hate it. Personally, I don't like the, this type of trading because yeah. it, it doesn't feel good to me. It doesn't feel like it, 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 it makes sense. I don't like that part of it. It reminds me of like 99 yeah. when I was in the market. of like this shit, this stuff is just doesn't feel good. So I hope it passes. But what I love about it is it is it sparked a lot of people opening up a brokerage account and just doing it. Even listen, it doesn't matter how you start, even if you lose your money. Now you have an account open. Now it's like, dude, I was hanging out in 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 stock boards in the 90s, late 90s and early 2000s. Remember Yahoo message boards mm-hmm. when it was not cool. It was not cool. It was not popular. Now you have like six, seven million people, kids on Reddit talking about stocks, dude. I don't care what they're talking about. I don't care if they're pumping stuff and doing stupid stuff. It doesn't matter to me. Just the fact that they're there, they're talking. Let me tell you something. They will get smarter. Yeah. Um, they will learn. What, how are they? Maybe they'll be in your community or someone else's community or my community eventually, right? Yeah. They'll figure out how what they want. Listen, we all do stupid stuff when we're 20, 25. 20, I mean, come on. I, I was ridiculous back then. I was getting cash advances on my credit cards and buying YOLO options when a YOLO, the word YOLO didn't exist, okay? 98, 99, 2001, okay? Like on cash advances, dude, it was insane, right? And look at me now, like it doesn't matter how you start. Do stupid stuff if you want to do stupid stuff. Big deal, maybe you'll make money, maybe you'll lose money, but now you're in the game. Now you're in the game. And you know what? When you get older, we all get smarter, right? In all areas of our life, when we get older, we just do. So like, I have no, I am not the guy out there saying these people are crazy. I'm just let them do what they want. Let them have fun, man. Let them have fun. They'll graduate. They'll get smarter, and we're gonna have a much more informed, investable community of retail traders ten years from now because of what happened to GameStop. Yeah. Uh, this year. Absolutely. No, I, I agree with that take for sure, for sure. So that's going to conclude today's episode of Confessions of a Market Maker. If you like the show, please rate and review it for us. If you're looking for a supportive, intelligent, and fun trading community, join JJ and myself at microefutures.com. Chris, tell people where they can find you and anything else you want them to know. Yeah, so dumbmoney.tv. If you go to dumbmoney.tv, that's all the links to me and my buddies, to our Dumb Money YouTube channel, my Twitter, and our Discord community, and all that good stuff. So dumbmoney.tv. Thank you so much. Chris, appreciate you, man. Love the energy, brother. Have a good good one, all right? Stay safe down there. Thank you. Thanks. All right. All right. For Chris Camillo, I'll call him Walnuts. He's a gorilla with House Street. Sorry, JJ couldn't join us today. Make sure you use the staff. So, peace.